Um, our scripture reading today is from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 3. This is found on page 812 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't own um, a copy of God's Word, please feel free to take that Bible right there um, that's in front of you because we would love for you to have a copy in your own home. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let me add my welcome to Aaron's. Uh, my name is Bill Gorman. I'm the campus pastor here at the Brookside campus and really grateful that you're here this morning with us and um, chosen to worship uh, with us at, at Christ Community today. Um, before we begin to look at this passage that Aaron's read for us uh, together, I'd love to start with prayer and ask uh, God to help us to understand his word and apply it in our lives. So Father in heaven, we're thankful that you speak. that the, the book that we hold in front of us is more um, than just ink and paper, uh, that the device that we look at these words on is more than just pixels on a screen, um, but that these are truly your words to us. And we pray that as your spirit is at work in our lives, um, that you would form us and correct us and teach us uh, through your word. Um, I ask that for myself uh, as well for each one who listens now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was a Tuesday night, and uh, we had just gotten home from community group, um, and it was late. Uh, we have a two-year-old daughter, Lucy, uh, so it was already past her bedtime, and I was starting to get her ready for bed, uh, looking for her pajamas, and I couldn't find them anywhere in her room, and uh, called Rachel and said, Rach, uh, I can't find her pajamas, and they, of course they were right there on the floor in front of me, which is usually where things are when I can't find them, and Rachel points them out, that they're right there in front of me. And... During all this, though, Rachel was on her phone texting someone, and I was starting to get a little annoyed. And I know not many of you probably have been in a situation like that, so, so let me just describe what was going on in my head, just going to let you in that moment. And I was thinking, I would never do this. I mean, when Rachel needs my help, I am always right there giving her whatever she needs, whatever she's doing on her phone. It can't be that important. Uh, and, and sort of all of my judgmental weapon systems were in high alert. So my, my snarky comment array was coming online. The sort of passive aggression, aggressive question system was aimed and ready. Um, my self-righteous martyr complex, one of my specialties, uh, was locked and loaded. And just as I was about to unload, it hit me like a two-by-four. Judge not that you be not judged. Because in that moment, I was busted because I am that person all the time. I'm always on my phone giving Rachel less than my full attention when she needs me. And what I'm doing always really is important. And I do that way more than Rachel ever does, way more. And I was about to unload on her for that. So it's like, how, how blind, self-deceived am I? 
So why do we do this as people? Because this is a human problem, isn't it? That we judge other people for stuff that we do all the time. Um, don't we find ourselves in those places? And, and, and Christians are often accused of being particularly judgmental as people, and that's not always wrong. Um, but this goes far beyond that. I mean, whether you're a Christian or not, we, we judge, uh, we critique, we cast aspersion. And so whether it's conservatives damning liberals and vice versa, or urbanites scoffing at suburbanites, or vice versa, or Kansans and Missourians, uh, poor and rich, or vice versa. Um, when celebrities fail, right? It's always like, well, did you hear what D- Justin Bieber did this time? You know? It's like we think as if somehow we would be so incredibly different if we were in those same kind of circumstances and situations. It's like we do stupid stuff all the time. We just don't have TMZ there to take a picture of it and put the news on. This kind of heated, often holier-than-thou debates about homeschool versus private school or charter school or public school. And even those people who most often quote this passage can look down on, kind of down their noses at people who look down their noses at people, right? So we can, I'm, I'm so glad I'm not like those people who judge other people all the time. And yet we also know, I think if we stop to think about it for a couple seconds, that the solution can't just be that we do away with all judgment and evaluation whatsoever. Because is, is it possible that we've misjudged judgment? I mean, scholar Lewis Smedes writes this. He says, no community can exist for long where nobody is ever held accountable. No teacher would ever grade a student's performance. No citizen would sit on a jury or call a failed leader to account. And he says, and when you come to think of it, nobody would ever forgive anyone for wrongs he had done. We only forgive people for what we blame them, and we blame only after we have judged. And it's going to be clear that even in these verses that we just heard read, that Jesus calls his followers to make some judgments. So what Jesus is really addressing in these verses is how to judge without being judgmental. How to judge without being judgmental. Which sounds kind of like a paradox. I mean, is that even possible? Can you judge, can you evaluate without being judgmental? Jesus says yes. But in order to get there, you need to kind of know three things we're going to see in this passage. And the first one is that that we're all more judgmental than we think we are. You have to come to terms with that. The fact that that every one of us is more judgmental than we think we are. Second, you have to come to terms with the idea that we're not actually as awesome as we think we are. Because it's those two things together that really create a toxic blend. And then third, that you don't have to be that person anymore. You don't have to be that person anymore. So first, Jesus confronts us with the fact that we are all more judgmental than we think we are. And it makes sense that he brings us up at this point in his sermon. Remember, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, which is some of Jesus' most uh, famous teaching. And in chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, he begins by calling us to this higher standard that we are to be holy as God himself is holy. And this leads Jesus then in in chapter 6 to warn us about hypocrisy. And now in chapter 7, Jesus warns us about judgmentalism that comes when people with less than holy hearts, begin to try to live holy lives. 
Because you see, we can be hypocrites by doing good to be seen by others. We can also be hypocrites when we try to judge others by a standard that we ourselves don't keep. And we all do this far more often than we think. So listen again to what Jesus says in verses 1 and 2. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, it will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Judgmentalism, Jesus says, is a two-edged sword. Whatever we judge other people, whenever we judge other people, we are inviting them to use that same standard on us. Right? And that's why on Tuesday night, when I was tempted to sort of blast Rachel for texting and not paying attention to me and helping me with all of my needs, I suddenly stopped short because I I can't live up to that standard. I, I don't live up to that standard. And the thing is that none of us live up to our own standards all the time. So imagine there is an app for your smartphone, right? And you just, your phone's with you all the time. And all this app does is it just begins recording anytime you say someone should or shouldn't do something. People shouldn't text and drive. You shouldn't litter. People shouldn't cut you off in traffic. People should be kind to everyone, even when they're starving and they've had a hard day at work and their kids are screaming. And you get the idea. We, all, we, we say these kinds of things. And then imagine that at the end of a day or a week or a month, we just judged you based on those statements that the app had recorded. Right? None of us fully do all those things perfectly all the time. And if you have a job, or you happen to be married, or you go to school, basically if you have any interaction with a group of people on a regular basis, I'll let you on a secret. You actually have that app already. It's called your spouse, your coworkers, your classmates. Because you think they aren't listening every time you say, people really should do this, they really shouldn't do that. You don't think they're they're listening and, and remembering and ready to hold you to the standard that you hold up for other people? We're all more judgmental than we think, but maybe you still think this isn't a big problem for you. Maybe you're saying, well, Bill, actually, like, I, I don't want to be prideful, but I really, I really do live up to my own standards. And, and maybe that's true. Maybe you, really, maybe you really do. But if you still don't think this is a problem at one level, let me ask you this. Ask yourself this question. Whose issues bother you more, yours or other people's? Who are you more eager to see change? Other people or yourself? Because I'll tell you that that Tuesday night, I was really much more bothered by Rachel than any of my stuff. And I was a lot more eager to see her change than to think, I need to really work on becoming better myself. Later on in verse 12 here of chapter 7, Jesus, in one of his other most really well-known famous statements, says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You see, we're so quick to treat ourselves how we wanted to be treated, right? I mean, we believe the best about ourselves. We understand that we're hungry and that we've had a bad day, and we cut ourselves a little slack in those moments. But we're so very slow to treat anyone else that way. 
They're just mean, stupid, and morally repugnant. If we're going to judge without being judgmental, we have to come to terms with how terribly judgmental we all really are deep down. And this would be true even if we all had our lives completely put together. But of course, none of us have our lives completely put together, which is why next you have to realize that you're not as awesome as you think. So listen to what Jesus says in in verses, uh, beginning in verse 3 here, down to verse 5. He says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye? When there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite, Jesus says. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Because now at this point, Jesus is laying it on pretty thick. And I suspect that probably he and the crowd are are chuckling a little bit at this moment. Because, I mean, this is a ridiculous picture, right? Someone with a, a log stuck in their eye. Jesus spent the majority of his life working in a carpenter shop, making things out of wood. He was familiar with logs and beams and specks and dust. And the plank that he's talking about, this beam, the, the word that's translated log here, it talks about the, like a beam, a supporting beam for a house. This is like a two by 12 that Jesus is talking about. And so if you've got that stuck in your head, you've got way bigger problems in your life than pointing out a little bit of dust in someone else's eye. It's like we all somehow think we're amazing dentists, but in reality our teeth are falling out of our heads while we try to point out like a little piece of spinach in someone else's mouth. We're not as awesome as we think. And yet we keep doing this. Why is that? Well, Jesus says it's rooted in this self-righteous hypocrisy. And this is what Jesus is getting at. He isn't saying don't ever judge. He's just saying don't judge like the hypocrites. Judge, but don't be judgmental. When you don't see your own flaws, you exaggerate other people's. And this is why we can so easily think too highly of ourselves. And the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious leaders of Jesus' day that he's often confronting, they focused on the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. And remember, as we just saw from Jesus, hypocrisy is more than just sort of a fragmented life and action that don't match up, but it's also about misplaced motives. Author and counselor Paul Tripp, he puts it this way. He says, self-righteousness means that you don't see yourself or the other person with accuracy. So you are condemning of him or her and excusing of yourself. And this troubling dynamic is another powerful argument for our desperate need of rescuing grace. Only this grace can help us see ourselves with accuracy and others with clarity. I love this line, he says at the end, you see it takes grace for you to realize how much grace you still need. One of the means that God has used to give me grace to see how much grace I still need is a little own essay um, by C.S. Lewis, shocking I know, um, called The Trouble with X. And it's one of my all-time favorite essays that Lewis writes. And he begins the essay by pointing out that that all of us probably have a person in our lives who drives us crazy, whose bad habits and character flaws are always making our lives more difficult and generally more miserable than they really need to be. And Lewis says, of course, 
when you talk to other people about this person in your life who just drives you crazy, they'll say things like, well, why don't you just go and talk to them about it? I'm sure they'd understand. They probably just don't even realize. And you know, no, I've, I've tried that a bunch of times. It doesn't work. Either they make excuses or they say they're going to change and it doesn't last, or worse, they just sort of look at you blankly like, I have no idea what you're even talking about. And then Lewis has us exactly where he wants us because then he turns and points the finger right back at us and he says the next great step in wisdom is to realize that you are also just that sort of person. You also have a fatal flaw in your character. All the hopes and plans of others have again and again shipwrecked on your character just as your hopes and plans have shipwrecked on theirs. In other words, Lewis is saying, you're not as awesome as you think you are. And he continues this a little bit longer. I just want to read you what Lewis goes on to say in the essay. He says, it's no good passing this over with some general admission of, of course I know I have my faults. It's important to realize that there is some really fatal flaw in you, something which gives others the same feeling of despair which their flaws give you. And it is almost certainly something you don't know about like what the advertisements call halitosis, which everyone notices except the person who has it. But why, you ask, don't the others tell me? Believe me, they've tried over and over again, and you just couldn't take it. Perhaps a good deal of what you call their nagging and bad temper are just their attempts to make you see the truth. And even the faults you know, Lewis says, you don't know fully. You say, I admit I lost my temper last night, but the others know you're always doing it, that you are really a bad-tempered person. You say, I admit I drank too much last Saturday, but everyone else knows that you are a habitual drunkard. In short, again, you're not as awesome as you think you are. None of us is. So we're more judgmental than we think. We're not as awesome as we think. But the good news is that it doesn't always have to be that way. You don't have to be that person anymore. You can actually escape this sort of judgmentalism. So how do we change? How do we begin to to break out of this judgmental attitude toward other people? How do we stop being that person? Well, three things to think about this morning. The first thing is that we need to vigorously, ruthlessly remove your logs and your specks. Get that stuff out of your eyes. Focus on that. First, take the log out of your own eye. This is what Jesus says in verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. (laughs) This is one place where Jesus is going to tell you, focus on yourself first. Why? Because the most selfless, loving thing you can do is stop bugging other people about their faults and start working on yours. To actually start becoming a sort of person who can really love selflessly. Again, later on in verse 12 when Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also to them. Let me tell you, there's one thing that everyone wishes you would do, and that is work on your own faults and stop bugging them about theirs. to tackle those fatal flaws in your character that are always shipwrecking their plans and their happiness. So how do you love your neighbor as yourself? Stop judging them and start dealing with your own stuff. Because when you think about it, there's really only one person who you can actually 
change, that you actually have some power to really make a difference, and that's in you. I mean, you can nag and bug all the people in your life as much as you want, but there's one person that you can actually do good work in, and that's yourself. If as a community we ruthlessly work on our own faults, our own planks, our own specs, we would have an amazing church. If we focused less on other people's faults and relentlessly focused on our own, that'd be incredible. And here's the thing, though. You need the community to help you. This is why we think community groups are so important, because a lot of times, like Lewis points out, the biggest faults are the ones you don't even know that you have. Everybody else sees them, but you're totally blind to them. You need other people to help you identify those. I need you to help me identify them. You need me. We need one another to help identify those things in our lives. So give the people in your life permission to call you on stuff. And then don't sort of use these verses to rebuff them when you do, because it can be tempting, right? When someone says, points out something in your life, says, hey, this is a problem, to kind of whether either verbally or at least inside your head say, you know, judge not lest you be judged. Right? We can kind of try to turn this around. But the design of Jesus' teaching here is to confront our stuff, not to be used to rebuff the criticism of others. So listen to your critics and then move on. Those are both very important. Listen to them and then move on. Whenever someone points something out, always ask the question, is there some truth in this? And if you don't think of yourself too highly, Criticism isn't a problem because your pride isn't wounded. We can just listen for the truth and, and then move on. We also need to remember that just because someone has a log in their eye doesn't mean that they're wrong about the speck in yours. I think that's another thing that can happen when people begin to call us on stuff. You say, man, well, their life is a mess. They don't have a right to tell me anything in my own life. Again, just because they have a log in there, it doesn't mean they're wrong about the speck in yours. They may have stuff they need to deal with. We all do, but it doesn't mean they're wrong about what you have going on. So vigorously, relentlessly remove the logs and the specks from your own life. Don't wait. Don't, don't put it off. Because listen to how Lewis actually concludes that essay, The Trouble With X. It's so powerful. He says, Be sure that there is something inside of you which, unless it is altered, there can be no heaven for you. Just as there can be no sweet smells for a man who has a cold in his nose and no music for a man who has death, it's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, Lewis says, there's something growing up which itself will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. The matter is serious. Let us put ourselves into his hands at once this very day, this very hour. So deal with your own logs. Deal with your own specs. And then the second thing we need to do is to gently help others remove their logs and specs. Help other people. Again, this is part of being a community. It's, again, why we do community groups. Why we do life together with people. Because we need to help one another in this. First, you have to do those pieces of dealing with your own stuff. But amidst all this, Jesus never says we're not to confront one another. In fact, Jesus says, Quite the opposite in this passage. Yes, we aren't to have a judgmental spirit, but it doesn't mean we are to throw out all discernment, all loving confrontation. This is what Jesus says in the second half of verse 5 and then in verse 6. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. You see, not being judgmental doesn't mean not thinking, not discerning. And that's the point of verse 6. It's this vivid imagery of dogs and pigs and all this. But essentially what Jesus is saying is that there are situations that require us to have discernment. So basically what Jesus is saying, don't be judgmental, but also don't be stupid. There's moments when you have to make evaluations, when you have to confront one another. Just don't be judgmental about it. As members of the body of Christ, we are to help one another to grow. It's part of what it means to be a community. Listen to what Paul, one of the early leaders in the church, he wrote a letter called Galatians, and he he wrote it to a group of churches that he had helped plan. This is what he says to them. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So remove your own logs and specks, then gently help others with theirs. And then finally, never forget your desperate need for grace. Finally, never forget your desperate need for grace. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I want to talk specifically to you for a minute. And if you're not a Christian, um, you know, you get a pass on this one. Uh, you can listen in. But in a moment, it may seem like I'm yelling. And I wish I'm yelling at them, not at you, okay? Um, I'm yelling at the, at the Christians, not, the, not, not you. Because you see, if you're a Christian, every time you start in with this judgmentalism that Jesus confronts here, you are forgetting and denying the gospel. The gospel of grace that rescued you because you were going to hell without Jesus. That's the log that was in your eye. Do you remember that? And every time you start in with judgmentalism, you're essentially saying, I'm better than them. I'm better than that. I would never do that. And that is a, just denies the gospel of grace. It isn't the gospel how quickly we forget our desperate need of grace. Grace for then and grace for now and grace for forever because remember what the New Testament says about who you are and about who you were. Listen to what it says about who you were before grace came into your life. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were enemies of God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Remember that you were one time separated from Christ, alienated, having no hope without God in the world. That we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's who you were before grace. But now, but now hear the good news of the gospel. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the water washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption in Christ Jesus for by the grace you've been saved through faith 
and this not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works that no one may boast. The, the bridge between who you were and who you are, not your goodness, because you don't have any. It's not, not our life because we were dead. It's not our effort. We were without hope, not our strength. We were utterly weak and helpless. The bridge, the bridge is God's grace and his mercy. Judgmentalism cannot survive in a life that's saturated with grace and mercy. It just can't. Because the gospel, it humbles us to the dirt while at the same time affirming us to the stars. And if you've received the grace that's offered in the gospel, it will change everything. See, Jesus had no log in his eye. He had every right to be judgmental, but he died nailed to the logs of the cross on our behalf so that we don't have to be that person anymore. So breathe grace. Take deep breaths full of it. It's oxygen for the life of the Christian. Without it, you just end up being a suffocating, judgmental hypocrite. Never forget your desperate need for grace, both now and forever, for God's glory and for your joy. Never forget your desperate need of grace. Let's pray together. Father, I am so grateful for your grace and your mercy in my own life. And forgive me for the times when I've forgotten the enormous debt that you've rescued me from and I've somehow judged other people with a standard that I couldn't keep myself and that you had to die to rescue me. Would we be a community that is saturated with grace, that breathes grace, so that we're able to lovingly confront and help and heal one another by extending one another grace that you've extended to us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.